Here we go on a Monday night, and wouldn't you know it, Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, and Ira is in studio with us. Ira, it feels like we haven't done a live show together. I mean, we've done live shows, but you've been all across the East Coast, escaping the Florida heat, so I, I can't blame you so much for that, but it's nice to have you back in studio. I love being in the Florida heat and the Miami heat, too, so we're <laughs> always thinking about that. Great show on tap for you tonight. Um, excellent writer from The Athletic coming on, Joe Machota. He's going to join us about 7.30. Iris, normally the Dallas Cowboys beat writer for The Athletic. They do great work. But he wrote a really cool article, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what he's, got to, what he's got to say about that. Yeah, well, he wrote an article. I saw it today, and I said, I have to get this person on because The Athletic did a story where they ranked the top 30, well, not top 30, they ranked all 30 NFL football stadiums. And considering I've been to 25 of the 30, I consider myself like, why didn't they consult me as an expert <laughs> on this? So I have some, I, I agree with some and disagree with others. So I cannot wait to have him on to talk about the stadiums. Spoiler alert, the Florida stadiums didn't do great. They didn't do great, and, and it was, it, these were all all the athletic writers, now not every one of them has been to every single stadium. I probably have been more to any one of the writers have, but it, I thought it, they made some good points. I really suggest people to read the article, but, but first of all, listen to Joe Machado, who's going to talk about some of the reasoning. And then uh, 745, Jen Drummond's going to join us. This is a little bit different than what we usually do, Ira, but it ties into sports, and it's something amazing that, that was accomplished. Yes, she has made, she has gone to seven of the seven-second summits. So across where all the continents, the tallest summit on every continent, the second tallest summit she's she's climbed. She's the only woman to ever done that. Males have done it. She's the only female to ever done that. She's been the Guinness Book of World Records, so we'll have her on. So... Let's start the show off with soccer. And of course, you can follow us anywhere across uh, social media at Ira on Sports. We rarely do this. I don't think we've ever started the yeah, show. I don't think we've actually. ever done this. But Messi Mania has taken over South Florida. It's taken over the MLS. It's taken over the soccer world. And it also took over restaurant on Palm Beach. Yeah, I was so best. They played as a people. First of all, Miami beat Philadelphia early this week, and then they played Nashville and they won the League's Cup. They were up one nothing. Uh, Messi had scored the goal, and then uh, Nashville scored a tie at one one. They went to penalty kicks, and they won. And Miami won ten nine in penalty kicks. It's an inner. This isn't the, winning the MLS title. They haven't even played an MLS game since he's been back. This is sort of like a little tight event, like the in season tournament that they're playing. And they're going to start another in season tournament coming up. But what's really interesting was. A Kachina in Palm Beach, which is on Saturday night, is crazy. I mean, there were bachelorette parties and bachelor parties, and the place was packed. Where I had a bottle ta service table, and the DJ was playing the music. Well, I'm like, they leave the TVs on, so this is great. There were two TVs, and I'm watching. Now it's in Telemundo, so it's not on Apple TV. So it's just, but I'm not getting here any. Yeah. <laughs> the music was so loud, and I thought I'm the only person in this entire place. Iron Sports is the only person who's watching this. Well, on the messy kick that hit the goal, uh, hit the uh, pole right near the end in the in the second half. The place went crazy. And then during the penalty kicks, people were going nuts. Like almost the entire place was watching it. So I'm like, this is a club in the middle of Palm Beach. And I just don't know if a football game would have, I don't know what else would have brought this type of attention. I've been to Kachina and watched games sometimes when the Heat have been playing in playoffs. I never saw the fact that when they won, the place erupted. People were throwing their napkins up. Like you thought it was uh, like uh, like New Year's Day, New Year's <laughs> Eve or something. It was so exciting. It, messy mania has taken over. It, it, it's a big deal. Even like, you know, you watch Sports Center. They'll like lead with Messi, which it's not talking about LeBron like they usually would. They, they start off with soccer, which 
Maybe you know, we're, he's just, we're right he, in line. he just gets it. I mean, he's just the, uh, I think right when they're giving the titles out, he took the uh, the captain. He let the other person who was the captain before him uh, uh, to Camp Campano. He, or not Campano, um, to become the, the, the captain's hold, the, whatever, to get the t- captain title, which is really nice. And all his players just love him. I mean, they talk to him like he's the greatest. He helps us. He does this. He does that. And how he works with the fans and just the enthusiasm. And he wins. I mean, it's just so great that he's proven what how one player can make a difference. And it was pretty neat. I didn't know that Giannis was an owner. Giannis uh, is an owner of Nashville's team. So he was there before the game kicking. Messi's out there. I mean, all the star power. The MLS is just loving this to have just everything. It's coming up roses for the MLS. Yeah, and Messi is great. You know, when you see the highlights, it's, it's a lot of him sco- scoring goals, but he sets people up all the time. Like, if you're on his team, you, you just got so much better because he's there. It's incredible. His field vision, watching him is, is like watching a, a maestro conduct an orchestra everything goes through him on that second shot so he scored earlier in the first half and on the second in the second half when he had a chance to score he just like exploded and there were like three defenders all around him and he was just like it was sort of like LeBron like he just went through and he just I mean just missed it hit the pole mm-hmm. so but I thought it was good at the end of the game they had a in it, Miami had a chance on their last goal for Pana like the ball was rolling and he just went and like slid and tried to do it like a backwards kick it. and yeah. almost had it there but it was exciting and people were going crazy at the bar again this is a club like people are dancing the DJs playing music and people when they when they won and when those penalty kicks were going on it was louder like it, it deafened the music so pretty cool and then uh, the Women's World Cup is wrapped up US Women's National Team not a part of it but congratulations to Spain Spain beat England to win the World Cup won nothing uh I guess one of the things is that Spain had a lot of issues with their team. You read about it. There's been a lot of dis- dissension in terms of how it was picked, whatever. But they went through. They won it all. Congratulations for Spain to win- winning the Women's World Cup. And now we're going to deal with ha- them in America. Then what's going to happen in terms of they fired their coach. They're going to fire the executive director. What changes are going to be made to bring America back so they can come back and win another World Cup? Let's uh, talk a little golf here. Change the topic here on Ira on Sports. So if you watched any of the coverage yesterday... It was pretty much watching Scotty Scheffler and Matt Fitzpatrick battle back and forth, not realizing that Victor Hovland was unconscious <laughs> and just playing lights out. He had a, a ridiculous back nine to win this tournament from behind. Congratulations to Victor Hovland. Shooting a 61, of course, record. And considering and Max Homa on Friday set the course record in Chicago. This is the BMW Championships, part of the FedEx t- series of FedEx FedEx playoffs. Max Homa on Friday shot a 62, which is course record. And Hovland on a Sunday. Talk about closing. I mean, just we're waiting for Hovland to do this in a major. But I mean, to, to win that. He usually is, fades uh, in yeah, major on Sunday. <laughs> So he won at 17 under. Fitzpatrick is 15 under. Uh, Scheffler was at 15. Rory was at 12. Brian Harmon, uh, who did well at the British Open, who won the British Open, was 11 under. And Ricky Fowler was 25th. Remember, there's only 50 golfers, no live golfers, and there was no cut in this field. But then this set what was going to be the tour championships coming up this week. One thing I will say about this was that Scotty Scheffler, you know, there, there was a point where Scheffler's still playing, obviously. Hovland, uh, Hovland was at 16 on 18, minus 16, and so was Scotty Scheffler. So he's, you know, two holes behind him, and he, they're tied. You'd think that Scotty Scheffler would have done something. It was Hovland, though, that ended up getting a birdie on 18, moving his score down, down, you know, to take the solo lead. And then Scheffler not only couldn't maintain pace, bogey to, to uh, you know, make this a two-shot de- uh, deficit as opposed to, you know, we could have really tied him if he, if he played it right. Scheffler's putting is just not—for someone who is just such a great driver and shock maker and everything, he's, he just— he 
he's missing those short putts. I mean, he wouldn't like to have Brian Harmon's uh, putting <laughs> within 10 feet because it's not like he's missing like three, four, but he's just, he's not, his putting is not where the rest of his game is. And his rest of his game is number one in the world. Yeah. The problem is that there's, he's just, if he could just get his putting going, he's going to win the Grand Slam of golf. Where's John Rahm been? I, he shot even. He just sort of fell off. It's been really weird. The start how, of the season, we were thought he was going to win every week. Yes. And now it's just been, it's, it hasn't, he hasn't played well. Um, and, uh, but he's still positioned. I mean, going into the tour championships, he's still in fourth place to win the playoffs for the tour championship. Yeah, where do we stand with the tour championship? It's really weird. I, I tell people they got to understand this. It's already, so Scotty Scheffler is the favorite almost for every single tournament he's entered this year. How would you like to have Scotty Scheffler at 10 under? So he starts at 10 under and Hovland is at eight under and Rory at seven, Rahm at six. So you're already giving <laughs> Scheffler an advantage because he's leading it's by, it's by points. So how they're going ahead. So he has a huge advantage. And then the other golfers like Homa, Kai Canley, uh, Harmon, uh, Wyndham Clark, Matt Smith, Patrick are four under. So you're thinking, how would they ever catch? They're, they're spotting Scheffler six strokes in a tournament. I don't know how they're ever going to win that. It's, it's, it's ridiculous the way they do it. It is uh, it is different. and But the winner gets $18 million. And if you finish last place, you get a half a million. So that would be, so it's a big, it's the, it's the biggest event in terms of prize money on the PGA Tour and who can win the Tour Championship. We remember a couple years ago when Tiger won that and, and it was one of his, the tournament before the Masters, everyone went crazy and they followed it at Eastlake. So I've never been to that tournament some year. I'll go to it. But uh, no, I think Scheffler is a heavy favorite to win this tournament. Ira, the Ryder Cup seems to have a lot of people online divided. If you go through social media, there's a lot of people saying they want Justin Thomas in for what he's done in the past for Ryder's Cup teams, how he plays with Jordan Spieth. I don't think it should happen. Where do you stand on the Ryder Cup, and what does it look like is going to shake out? Well, I think Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, uh, who won the U.S. Open, Brian Harmon, who won the British Open, and Patrick Cantlay were already in. And then in this tournament, Max Homa and Xander Shoffley qualified. That pushed that those are six automatic qualifiers because Brooks Kepka doesn't even play in the PGA Tour. He has to win all his points in the majors, which he did. He won the PGA Championship. He was second in the Masters. He's in seventh. They'd be crazy considering his record in the Ryder Cup not to put Brooks on there. And then I think you have like Spieth, Jordan. And Spieth will definitely be on one of the players. And then you have Cam Young, you have Morikawa, Keegan Bradley. I would not put Justin Thomas in. I mean, he just clearly hasn't played well. But I like that. I think Ricky Fowler should be in. He's played well enough. I think I would put him on. But remember, there's no Bryson DeChambeau. There's no Dustin Johnson. There's no Phil Mickelson to be on the team. So there's six automatic that if the live golfers would have made it, they would have still been on. But uh, I don't think there's going to be an incentive uh, that, that uh, Zach Johnson puts. Um, he's not going to put Bryson Bryce or DeChambeau on there. On the team. So you were glued to the television yesterday watching uh, what should glued. have been one of the greatest uh, tennis matches ever. This, I, I'm telling you, I love tennis. And I thought when Nadal, Federer, this is over. <laughs> Alcaraz and Djokovic. This match was unbelievable. They're playing Cincinnati. It's a Masters 1000. There's only a 10 or 11 of these tournaments. So it's a major tournament uh, and it's the third biggest tournament in the United States besides Miami and Indian Wells. Djokovic is playing Alcaraz. You remember that Djokovic beat Alcaraz in the French Open. They played in the Wimbledon and Alcaraz won in that thrilling match in Wimbledon. And now at the Cincinnati they played and Djokovic gets 95 degrees. Djokovic looks exhausted to the championship match and he loses the first at 7-5. He's down 4-2 in the second and it looks like he can't even walk around and suddenly he gets this energy and he comes back and he breaks Alcaraz who Alcaraz threw away a game letting Djokovic back in the match they go to a tiebreaker Alcaraz had championship point uh, Djokovic saves championship point and then they go into the second set and the third set and it was 
tremendous back and forth, back and forth. Djokovic was led 5-3. He had two match points, could not convert them. Then it was 5-4, two match points that could convert. They finally go in the tiebreaker, and finally Djokovic wins the match. But it was 25-point rallies, 20-point rallies, tremendous playing. Uh, it was it was awesome. I loved it, and it just sets up perfectly. But the whole match, it's a three-set match. It wasn't five sets. Four hours long. If they went five sets, it could have been like six and a half hours. And uh, so exciting for the U.S. Open if they meet in the finals. So of course, this time they'll be preceded one and two. And as I've said again and again, I'm going to say this for the next three weeks, I have no idea why the U.S. Open doesn't take the Sunday men's final and put that on a Tuesday or a Wednesday even because football is on Sunday. Why would you deprive the viewing public to, to hide this men's final between Djokovic and Alcaraz on a Sunday afternoon on the first football day of Sunday when you can put it on Tuesday night when there's it's going against, what, Yankees versus the Indians <laughs> or something like that? It's true. And how people, we talk about it all the time, just avoid the NFL if you can. It's your rules. You can make it whenever you want. Make it on Tuesday night. Makes sense to me. Coco Goff, this is another was second win in three weeks Second now? wins. I saw her in D.C. And now she, you talk about changing the coach. After Wimbledon, she made the big changes. She brought Gal, Brad Gilbert in. And we talk about bringing the commentators from tennis. Like her advisors all said, we, here we're listening to what Brad Gilbert's saying on TV. He's the number one commentator. We need to bring him in. And you would think, well, that's crazy. You're bringing the comment. And he has made such a difference. Tremendous. You can see how he works with her. And uh, just a big win. She beat, he, she, he had, she had never defeated Swiatek from Poland, the number one player in the world. Finally, beat her in the semifinals and then beat an unseeded player, Machova, in the finals. Huge win, setting everything up for Goff to go. Now, look, she's the, she's the fifth seed in the U.S. Open, but I think people are looking that she's betting-wise. She's probably one of the top two or three uh, odds-on favorites to win, and she is going to be uh, the super draw. Remember, last year, the whole U.S. Open was with Serena and her retirement. This will be Coco Goff. So, well, she hasn't advanced. I don't think she's made it to the semifinals. So it hasn't made it to the semifinals of the U.S. Open. So this is going to be big for her, but we'll see. I'm excited for this U.S. Open, Djokovic Alcaraz, and also Coco Goff for the women's side. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. At 7.30, Joe Machoda from The Athletic joins us, and Jen Drummond joins us at 7.45. What's going on in UFC? Well, 292, Sean O'Malley. So I have never been a fan of Sean O'Malley. He's the one with the crazy hair, the crazy everything. He says he's the next Conor McGregor, and he went against Sterling, who was a champion and lightweight. And in the second round, he knocked him out. I was shocked. I did not think that O'Malley was going to beat Sterling. But Sterling won on a disqualification. You become a champion because you got a, someone hit after, Peter Yan hit him after the bell. I think it's weird to become a champion that way. And But this was just such a surprise. I mean, considering that he, that uh, um, O'Malley lost in 2020 to Vera in the first round as a knockout. In 2022, he had a no contest where O'Malley poked him in the eye. So I just really felt like against he fought Peter Yana in 2022. I thought he lost that. And now he's a champion. And, and the UFC is pushing him. They, they've been, I've been watching O'Malley, and I've never been sold on him to be this great fighter. But he is on everything. And they are pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. And he said, I'm the next Conor McGregor. And they're going to try to make him that. I I don't know what's going to happen, but it, it, it was, I was shocked. I thought he was definitely going to lose this, and he, and he won. Anything else you want to talk about uh, fighting-wise? We had a little time for baseball here before we get to the NFL. Yankees are officially a dumpster fire, Ira. I, I'm over this team. I stopped watching like two weeks ago. The, they had a meeting, Aaron Boone and Cashman, uh, with the owner, Steinbrenner. Nobody knows what was said. I can't imagine that it was very many good things being said, but I think that this is, we're finally gonna get to see a changing here. I think Boone and Cashin may have worn out their welcome. I, I've been saying this for a decade. I've it for a, yeah, a five decade years. and a half. I, I thought, look, I don't like how Cashman treated Joe Torrey. I've, you read every, I've read books on this, and I thought that he stabbed him in the back. 
I, the whole negotiation over Jeter, I thought to disqualify Cashman. He, he takes credit for Mr. Dean Michael drafting all these players. Like to me, Cashman's won one World Series. That's it, and with the highest payroll in baseball for it, for 15 years, yeah. had the highest paid payroll in baseball. So I just I can't you know. And this team is a disaster in what they're doing. But they've lost eight straight. They're 60 and 44. They're only like a game better than the Mets, which is yeah. too. And Mets actually, have been winning, believe it or not. <laughs> and this is the first time they lost eight straight since 1993. You know, Aaron Judge. People say, well, is Judge out. No, Aaron Judge has been back the whole month of August. He's hitting 220 with six RBIs. So it's like the whole team, the malaise is assessed. I mean, Garrett Cole got knocked out the other day yep. in three innings. It is just a total disaster. Herman is in alcohol rehab in terms of beating up the locker people in the locker room, and then Severino, who they career could be over. It, it, got a 10 ERA. It's just, it's just it, every and they every decision. I've never seen a team that has made so many bets on so many and so wrong. Like Donaldson, everything they've done has been totally. You know, they should, like, George Costanza, do the exact opposite if it worked. And so it's pretty bad for them. How how do we look standings-wise here? Because it's getting down to the nitty-gritty, and it looks like some of these spots are highly highly volatile on who's going to make it into the last wild cards. Yeah, Tampa, Baltimore, Tampa, I feel are in. Uh, Twins are six games over Cleveland, so they should be also in. I mean, Tampa will be in as a wild card if they don't win the division over Baltimore. And then it's really Texas, Houston, Seattle are all battling. You know, for Houston, Seattle, Toronto, Boston, all competing for two spots. So. You gotta think Houston's gonna get one of those spots, and Seattle's been playing, Seattle's great. Been playing great. So you really think that those other two spots are going to go to Houston, Seattle? That'd be strange to have a playoffs without Boston in and without the Yankees in. A little different here in the in the American League, but uh, uh, yeah, Tampa I think is in, and, and Baltimore. Can you imagine that Baltimore? They were so bad a couple years ago, and they still don't have a stud pitcher. I mean, they're doing all this with a patchwork rotation. They just, they hit the ball, they play timely, and they're all young. I mean, this is going to be the next Braves, where you just have this team of eight successful draft picks in a row, and you have a team for the next and, decade. And, and just looking at, the, and I feel bad for the Angels, they're 61 and 64. They We talked about the Otani, are they going to not trade him or not? And so they decided not to, and they have not won any games, so it's a shame for the for the Angels. But when you look at the American League and look what the teams are, you really got to look at Houston saying, who is going to beat Houston when they have the pitching and the hitting, and when it comes to the playoffs, with the playoff experience, you're like, Houston. Now, in the National League, you have like three or four teams that have a chance to make the, the World Series. But I think in the American League, now anything, of course, can happen, but I really like Houston's chances to make it the World Series. And in the National League, it looks like to me, the Dodgers and the Braves have really distanced themselves from the pack. I, I can't see I can't see any kind of championship game that doesn't involve them for the NLCS pennant. Um, the Padres and Mets, though, are still going to be the talk of the town with just how bad these teams were based off their payrolls and rosters. I Look, the Mets, I can understand somewhat. 58 and 67, seven games back. But the Padres, I keep saying, where is it? When are they going to? When I was watching Big Brown, when I watched the Belmont, when I thought Big Brown was the favorite to win the uh, the uh, uh, Belmont and win the Triple Crown, and it just, like, when's it going to start to run? It just never ran. And the Padres... On fire. They're a horse they, that didn't come out of the game. They are 59 and 66. They're six games back on wild card. They have the best pitchers, the best hitters. They have a, a positive run differential, which should put them in, and they just find ways to lose games. It's unbelievable what the Padres are. I keep coming on the show waiting for the Padres to make that run, which I still think they're so talented they can win 20 games in a row and get back in it. But it really comes down to the Phils, San Francisco, Cubs, Reds, Marlins, and Arizona. No, I said a lot. Those are six teams. They're with like a game each of each other for the three, for the three wild card spots. So anything's going to be open. It's really wide open there for those wild card. But you're right. The, uh, the Braves and the Dodgers are so far ahead of everybody else and look like they're, like they're going to play for the championship. I have some good news about your Pirates. The number one overall draft pick guy uh, uh, this year, 
Paul Skeen's pitcher, they've jumped him up right to double A. Not even going to go to A ball. So and his girlfriend is, Olivia, is is the LSU gymnast Olivia Dunn. So that's going to be whatever. If they're, he's going to be playing in Altoona, and I'm sure Olivia is going to come to Altoona. <laughs> so my friends in Altoona are all excited that Olivia Dunn, who's the number one person on Instagram and makes more from NIL money than any play any any athlete in all of college sports, is going to be following her boyfriend in Altoona. Uh, let's talk football here. We've got about eight, seven or eight minutes till we get to uh, Joe Machota from the Athletic. First and foremost, it's kind of breaking news. Jonathan Taylor of the Colts, uber successful running back, obviously at, at some uh, heads heads with uh, Jim Irsay, and Irsay said you're allowed to seek a trade. I don't know where he's going to end up. I don't know what they want for him. But doesn't Buffalo seem like the perfect destination? You said that immediately, and you're totally right. I mean, they have James Cook, who's a really good running back on that team. But you're I'm thinking with Buffalo, it's a win now, win this year. The pressure on John with Josh Allen, I'm like, bring Taylor in. I think you got to make that trade. You got to bring him in. And they have shown. Remember, they brought Von Miller in a couple yeah. years. You know, the point is they will make that big thing. And Indianapolis, what a mess they are. Everything is a disaster there. They really have. It's just they cannot figure it out at all. And people aren't happy there. And, and uh, but no, I think ta- this Taylor. We first we you know Dalvin Cook. We talked about him for like two months. It seemed like, and now we're going to talk about Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, the, the AFC East is an arms race. You got the Dolphins with the two fastest guys on the planet on the outsides. You got Aaron Rodgers and Dalvin Cook just moved in. If they if they finish second or third in this division, Cook uh, Diggs might want out. You know he's always got an issue. Put your chips in the table. Give up a first round if you need to do it. Bring this guy in. And people and are talking about the Dolphins, maybe. I mean, I think the Dolphins with Mostart and Wilson and a chain are, are, are loaded at running back. But who knows? Maybe they'll go after Taylor, too. They were in the running for Cook. So it's like this This uh, uh, East is just a division. I mean, everybody from the Jets and the Bills. And the only one who's not spending money is the Patriots. But they have <laughs> Belichick. So. Well, they got Zeke. So. Yes. <laughs> um Ira is convinced the Steelers can book their tickets for the Super Bowl. He's loving this team, and he's ready to go all in. I started watching that game on uh, 6.30 Saturday night. I watched the Steelers the first half, and I could not— I, I, I'm not sold on Kenny Pickett, and I want to be sold on him. I like everything about him, but I, I just was not sold. But wow, they destroyed the Bills. I go in this game thinking the Bills are—people uh, are sleeping on them. I think the Bills are still good. They're still great. They just had problems, but they look terrible. And I remember a couple of years ago when they blew out the Steelers, like it seemed like 50 to nothing in the first quarter. It was a disaster. And then you watch this game, and Kenny Pickett was Unbelievable. George Pickens, a wide receiver. DeAndre Johnson, Pat Firemuth. They have Allen Robinson, who played. I loved at Penn State, where we played for the Bears, and then the Rams had a bad. He's there as the third wide receiver. They have Najee Harris at running back. Jalen Warren runs the ball in for 40 yards. That's their offense, and they just are missing a quarterback. But Kenny Pickett made every single right decision. Like, he looks fantastic. And then defense, TJ Watch and Highsmith. People are sleeping on Highsmith. Alex Highsmith is just tremendous, running around, making tackles. They brought in experience with Patrick Peterson in the, in the secondary. They have Micah Fitzpatrick in the secondary. Joey Porter Jr., who does, didn't make any interceptions at Penn State, made an interception in the game. It's like everything they're doing is right. I'm excited for this team. I know their offensive line. They brought Project Jones, who didn't even play in the game, so we'll see what happens. But I'll tell you what, I was just blown away how well they looked. And it's all Kenny Pickett. He is, he's the fulcrum to this entire team. He's the, he's the person who's going to... It, it, it all depends on him. And if he plays like that, the Steelers are could win. Yes. They could go to the Super Bowl. One of the biggest question marks this season has to be, is Jordan Love good? Because really nobody knows. Packers played the Patriots. 
Jordan Love looked serviceable in, in, in limited action. I think you'd have to be a little encouraged after that performance. Yeah, I mean, he did embarrass himself. Like, compare, do the comparison to Trey Lance for the 49ers who looked terrible. I think Jordan Love looked excellent. And for someone we, you know, we, but we've seen him in preseason before. Like, I'm not that surprised because I've seen Jordan Love in the preseason and when he's played because Aaron Rodgers has never played preseason. So I've seen him before and I think he'll be fine this year. I think he's got, the team likes him. I think the players like him. He has Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, a wide receiver. He has a good offensive line. Like, I think he's going to do well. Like, I, 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 I think he played well. Like, I watched it. I think he is, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he's not the worst. He's not Nathan Peterman either. So uh, one team that, seems to be getting a, a little un, unnecessary uh, unnecessary attention in my eyes as the Texans. I don't think this is going to be a very good team. Miami made them look like not a very good team uh, over the weekend. No, I mean, CJ, it, well, the, it's hard. It's, it's When you watch preseason game, and this was the only week to really watch it because no one's probably going to play. Now, Aaron Rodgers will play. There'll be a couple yeah. quarterbacks. But I love watching the second preseason. There's only three because I only watched like the first. I went back and literally watched like the first five, six, seven minutes of each of the games that when the star quarterbacks were playing. If the, star, if the starting quarterbacks aren't playing, I'm not watching the game. So, But in this game, uh, Tua played. So I watched Tua and I watched CJ Stroud. So I got to see that in Tua through interception on his first pass, but then they drove down and they took him out. I mean, the key for the Dolphins is Tua staying healthy. I mean, it really is just a, it, it, is he going to stay healthy or not? And yeah, if Tua is on the field, the team's going to win 10 plus games. It's, I, I can't see how they couldn't. They've, got, they've only gotten better. Had should have Jalen Ramsey back maybe, what did they say, in December, January. So I think the sky's the limit, but as you said, it depends on him. A lot of people think the sky's the limit for Atlanta, Ira. I don't see it. I like some of the skill players. I just don't see anything on defense, and I don't know anything about Desmond Ritter. I don't know why people are saying, you know, bet the Falcons to win the division, bet them as a Super Bowl, uh, you know, at their Super Bowl odds. I think it's insane. I think people like Arthur Smith, who's their coach, who was the offense coordinator in Tennessee Titans, and they feel like he's a brilliant mind in the game. Desmond Ritter played at Cincinnati. They think he's a winner. Drake London, who I, when I Steelers played the Falcons, I went, Drake London looks amazing. Like, if Drake London was on the Kansas City Chiefs, he'd catch 120 balls for 2,000 yards. He it looks, he, he's from USC, looks like, and then they got Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier, two, you know, Bijan Robinson is a rookie running back who people think is going to be the best rookie running back, and Tyler Algier, who was a 1,000 yard rusher last year. So I think from that perspective, people are high on them, and they looked well. They, I mean, there's, there's things I like about them. So I'm not, I'm more positive than you are on the Falcons but we'll see what happens as the season goes on. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Uh, let's go ahead. I think we have our caller on the line. Maybe we will in a second. Uh, John Machoda will be joining us here in just a second. But 49ers and Broncos, I think we need to talk about this one because nobody really knows what's going to happen with Russell Wilson. He was terrible last year. And really nobody knows what's going to happen with the 49ers quarterback situation. Well, I think it was yes and yes and yes for all three. Uh, Russell Wilson looked good. He played one series, looked seemed like move the ball, and San Francisco, Brock Purdy, and Sam Darnall looked like that. First of all, they stay healthy, which was excellent, and Trey Lance didn't look well. But the point is, they're not going to get rid of Trey Lance because I keep saying this about the 49ers. They, their quarterbacks get hurt every single year, whether it's anybody. And they, they last year, they might have won the Super Bowl if they would have had another quarterback. If I'm the 49ers, I sign every quarterback possible. I put them in administrative positions like learning how to be the general manager or just doing something around community relations because they cannot have too many quarterbacks because they keep getting hurt. They would have won. They had, Christian McCaffrey was the quarterback in the crunch time against the Eagles last year. And it's just like, that's what they need. So I do think, look, I think they made a smart move with Sam Darnell. I think he's going to be fine. And Brock Purdy's going to be their starting quarterback. And if Brock Purdy gets hurt, then Sam's going to step in and do a good job. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, 730 on the dot.
Scott. Time to bring in John Machoda. He's uh, from The Athletic, covers the Dallas Cowboys. You can follow him on Twitter, at John Machoda. John, thank you so much for joining us here today on Iron Sports. No problem at all. Thanks for having me on. Ira, what do you have for John? Uh, um... Jill, it's it's awesome to have you. Thanks for coming on. First of all, I want to talk about The Athletic a little bit. Uh, I've been a subscriber the last year and a half, and I think your coverage has been fantastic throughout all the teams. And I love the fact that you can now say, I want to get more stuff about the Steelers or 49ers or whatever team you like. And when it comes up, it comes up like that. You don't get that from ESPN. You don't get that from CBS. So that's what I really enjoy uh, the site in terms of what, how the, what you're doing with that, with The Athletic. I appreciate that. We... We definitely try to uh, make it as streamlined as possible for that. And, and, and to be honest with you, one of my favorite things about it is just that you have colleagues that cover every other team, so you always have someone to like, turn to, like, hey, what is going on here? You know, should, you know, this team's playing the Cowboys this week. What, I, what should I look for? And, and yeah, I just, uh, it's been great. I've been here since 2019, and I really can't think of any other place that I'd rather work. Now, you covered the Cowboys for the Dallas Morning News, and now that's what The Athletic does. I've seen a lot of where sometimes they've taken writers from the local papers and who's covered the teams already and brought them in. So I love the fact that you can get that in-depth analysis. And so you're, But let's talk a little about the Cowboys in terms of you had some great articles, and you sort of summarized their, you know, they train, and people don't realize that they train in California, and they come back, one of the few teams that train so far away. But you were very impressed with their training camp this year. Yeah, and it is so great because, like, as of right now, so I'm in, I'm in back in Dallas right now, and as I'm talking to you, I'm sitting in my car, and it says outside right now that it's 105 degrees, okay? So um, record heat here in Texas, and that's why they go to California is because uh, they're in Oxnard, and it's uh, they can practice outside on two grass fields, and uh, the weather's never an issue, and, and everything goes pretty well. And, and, yeah, no, this camp for them, I mean, they're, they're pretty loaded on both sides of the ball, but, I mean, the... So the number one thing that stood out from, from their training camp is really just how dominant Micah Parsons was and, and how he really is shaping up to as good as he was his first two years in the league. I mean, he's really got a chance to take this defense and himself really to, to a whole other level. There's some commentary that he added some weight, and was that going to slow him down? He's not going to pressure the quarterback as much because he added that weight. He's trying to, but I, I'll believe it when I see it because he does not look like he's that much bigger. And the reason he wanted to do it is because, like last year during the back half of the season, you know, playing as a little bit smaller of an edge rusher, you know, he takes quite a pounding from guys that are, are a lot bigger than him on the tackle spots. And so he wanted to add that on, hoping that that would allow him to, you know, be a little bit fresher later in the year. And, and that is the hope. Um, but when you're a young guy like he is, and, and, you know, in the prime of your athletic career, sometimes it's hard to keep that weight on um, because you burn, you burn those calories so fast with everything that he's doing. Uh, on the field and then during the week during practices. So yeah, that's that's the goal. But I'll, you know, I'll kind of I'll believe it when I see it. The Cowboys always bring a big name free agent, and they brought Stephen Gilmore in this year, and then to a team with Diggs in the secondary. And you said, look, Gilmore looks good, Diggs looks good, Demarcus Lawrence looks good. You love their defense with Parsons added to it, but everybody else, all the other players. For, for sure. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you go back just two, three years ago, and this Cowboys defense was one of the worst in the league. But then you go and draft you know, a guy like Micah Parsons and draft Trayvon Diggs, and then things start heading in the right direction. Dan Quinn comes aboard, uh, and then they're able to find some, some really good value in free agency with guys like, you know, J. Ron Curse and Malik Hooker. And, and so now all of a sudden, you know, now you got this group that's been together for a few years, and they keep, you know, ascending up. The thing of the last couple of years is that they were great at taking the ball away, led the league in, in takeaways the last two years. Something that hasn't been done by a team in back-to-back years since those, you know, steel curtain dominant Steelers defense. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love those teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. It's been that long since a team's done that back-to-back years. But 
this defense is, is more solid across the board. Like they're better in the middle. Uh, you know, there have been times in the, in the years past where you know you could kind of gouge them in the run game, and and they've really solidified that. And then the other issue was their their number two corner, and, and to make that move for Gilmore, who really at training camp, I mean, he, he has been one of their defensive standouts. And so, I mean, all the pieces are there. You got the coordinator back. You got you know. The, the star player in Micah that can elevate the group, and then you, you really don't have a weakness there. So uh, for a Cowboys team that's usually been built around its offense, I mean, this is this is a defensive first team right now. And then to move to the offense, uh, the fact that you, I was the article you wrote, anyone I suggest go to the Athletic and read your story. You like how C.D. Lamb looks. You love the addition of Brandon Cooks in terms of while he's playing and at wide receiver. And then you talked about this Jalen Tolbert, who people might not know so much about, but you're just blown away by how well he's played. Yeah, he, he was. He really disappointed last year. They they drafted him in the third round. Talked talked about considering him in the second. They get him in the third, and it just he did not hit. It was a, it was a slow process. He didn't make much of an impact at all. Uh, they were hoping that he'd have a bigger role. And then so going into this off season, you're just kind of like, I mean, it's all there for Tolbert to win that number four job. Uh, let's see if he can do it. And and he looked like he was on task at you know OTAs and minicamp. Spent some time working with Dak in between that. Uh, and then he gets to training camp and just hit the ground running. And in both their preseason games, I mean, it just he really looks like a guy that, you know, it's one thing when we talk to him at OTAs or training camp and they talk about how confident they are. It's another to actually, like, see it on the field. And, 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 and in the spot he's in where he's not in that clear, you know, first group, he's working with Dak, but a lot of times he's working with Cooper Rush or Will Greer. And, and so sometimes that's tough for a receiver, but it hasn't been for, me, for him. I, I see him having a, a pretty big role on this team this year, and I really didn't expect to say that. Uh, a month ago. And one of the uh, players that people talk about in fantasy football constantly right now is Deuce Vaughn at running back. Now, we know Pollard is uh, coming back from injury uh, there, but but Deuce Vaughn has made such an impression around the country, really. Besides Dak and Micah, is probably the most talked about cowboy right now. Yeah, and really with Deuce, I mean, when you first see him at rookie minicamp, you're just like, I can't believe that this guy has been able to, at this size, have the success he did at Kansas State. Is he really going to be able to do that at the NFL level? And training camp practices aren't the best barometer because they're not tackling to the ground. And so there'd be a lot of plays out in Oxnard where Deuce would spin off a guy, and you're like, and it looked really good, but is that going to happen in the game? They're not really trying to tackle here. They're just kind of trying to thud him up. And then you get to the preseason, and you see him make some of these big plays. You're like, man, that looked a lot like Kansas State. Can he, can he do this in the NFL? And, and now you're just kind of thinking, like, I mean, Tony Pollard's clearly their, their number one featured back, but... I mean, Deuce looks like a guy that could handle a role of maybe getting five, six, seven touches a game in a variety of ways. I just hand him the ball, maybe throwing him some screens and things like that. So he has been a big surprise. I mean, to be a sixth-round pick and then at his size and then also just the fact that how devalued that running back position has been that maybe they did find one of the biggest steals in the draft in the sixth round. And then it'd be, I'd be remiss, but the only person to ever not talk about the Cowboys and not talk about Dak Prescott in terms of it seems like every national newscast has to, uh, at sports, has to lead with Dak Prescott this. He gets in a fight with Diggs. Dak Prescott has 15 interceptions. I think everyone knows that Dak Prescott had 50 interceptions. I don't think they knew about any other quarterback. But it seems like, you know, as I said, I, I, I hate interceptions. I mean, so what? I mean, five or six or seven of them could be at the end of a quarter where someone's trying to, end of the half, just throw the ball down there but how's Dak done with the dealt with the pressure about the team the expectations everything like that I mean that aspect of his game I don't I don't know how you could be any better you know that's the thing uh covering this this Cowboys team since 2011 you know I've really got a chance to learn like it's just 
being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys is not for everyone. I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard enough to be able to be good enough to ever play in the NFL, but it's a whole other thing to have to have that on your shoulders. Uh, and it really, I mean, to be honest, it just speaks to just the greatness of a Troy Aikman or Roger Staubach to be able to get to the level that they did. You know, with the pressure of you know being the quarterback of America's team and everything that comes with it, because everything you do is magnified. Because I'm seeing that the most this offseason, which is how many stories are written and how much it's talked about his 15 interceptions just because it, the interceptions have never been an issue in his career and it's not like there's this small sample size he's been their starter since 2016 so uh he's handled it great you know but ultimately it does have to come down to him playing better in the playoffs i mean um if you were going to say that you know one player absolutely has to play better than they did against the 49ers in the playoffs it's going to be Dak prescott i mean he had one of the worst games of his career there so i get why that there is criticism of him um, but like I said, I, there's nobody that I could ever see handling it better uh, than how he's handled it. But people forget. I mean, I was at the game in Tampa when he ended Tom Brady's career. So they played so well in that game. So I think people think about the San Francisco game. And also they had a quick turnaround. Remember, they played that Monday night and had to go back on, I think, on Saturday or Sunday. So it was a short week when San Francisco had time to rest up. So I give him a little pass on that on that one game. But we're talking to uh, John Mashota, who is, works for the writer for The Athletic. And the reason I brought you on, besides talking about the Dallas Cowboys, was that you had an amazing article today about the top. Uh, the Athletic rated the top, the top all 30 stadiums in the NFL and I thought it was uh, it's a must read and I just wanted to, you to talk about it. I've been to 25 of the 30 so thanks for coming on and at least talking about what your ranking system and tell me what the criteria was and how uh, the writers all decided to rank or was there even a criteria? Yeah, so this started out like so three years ago I did it and it was one of those things it was an off-season thing that I did when with, it was like in June it was probably the, the only dead point in the season for an NFL team if there ever is one and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to write something on, like, what, what are the top five and, and bottom five stadiums in the NFL? And so I started reaching out to some writers, and before you knew it, I had a, a group of about 30 that I put it together, and I'm like, okay, this is everybody's top five and bottom five. And so I started, you know, ranking it by, like, point value on, on okay, you know, let's see who will rank. The top. And by the time I was done with that, I was like, oh, if you get 30 people to rank five, the top five and bottom five, you'll get enough that you can rank every one of the stadiums. Like, the middle will fill itself out because – There'll be enough stadiums that people rank so poorly that it'll pull them down in, in, in the ranking. And it, I never thought I'd be able to rank all 30, well, 30 stadiums uh, for the 32 teams off of that. And so it worked pretty seamlessly. And so, you know, that was three years ago, and I hadn't done it again since. I was like, well, let me wait until, you know, some, some more people have gotten a chance to beat a SoFi and, and it got a chance to go to Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. And so I was like, this summer, I'm like, I'll do it again. And same deal, got 30 writers and uh, was able to put this together. And a lot of them are similar to what it was three years ago. There, there, there were a couple of, of, of big swings, but I'm like you. I've been to 26 out of the 30. Um, the COVID year is when the Cowboys played, you know, at, you know, against Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore, and I didn't get to go to those. So those three I haven't been to. And then uh, I haven't been to Allegiant yet in Las Vegas. And so, so being to 26 out of the 30, when I was done adding it all together and, and ranking them, um, I mean, I would say almost all of them I agree with. Uh, I was like, this is pretty much where I would have most of these stadiums. There were only maybe one or two where I was like, yeah, I'd have that one a little bit higher. But for the most part, I mean, I'd put that ranking up against anyone's. 
Well, and the number one ranking is the Viking Stadium, the U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota. Um, and I'm going to say this. If you go to Section 6, I think V1, um, it is the best seat in any stadium I've ever been in because it's only like 16 rows back on the second level, the second level of the club. It's almost like you're on a ladder, like above the coaches. So you're so close to the field, you almost feel you fall over. You're going to fall right on the field. You're not blocked by any of the of the players, but you're close enough on the field. So I think it's the best seat. The first row in that club is the best seat and I, I sat in the second row but I love the stadium and I love the fact it's downtown and you can walk to it from the even though I was there at the coldest day the Steelers played it was like 100 degrees below and you could just walk there on the on the, uh, the thing so the uh, around the, you don't have to go outside at all so it's pretty cool yeah I, I think that that's what makes it one of those cities where you can have Super Bowls there even though it's in February is because, you know, Indy's a little bit like that too and that's why it's been decent for the Combine to be in Indianapolis because you can stay in those, I guess they call them like breezeways. They're basically like above ground, you know, tunnels that go across from one place to another so you can kind of stay inside without really having to go outside very much and so that helps obviously uh, in downtown Minneapolis. But Minnesota, though, the, the thing about the stadium is there's tons of natural light that make you feel like you're almost outside, but then their in-game production is just so outstanding. I mean, the fake snow, they have the skull chant, they have the Viking horn. I mean, every, their in-game production, like, I haven't been to a place that's done it better. I've heard that the in-game is, is pretty good at Allegiant, which you'd expect from the city like Las Vegas. So I, I can't wait to see that, but I'd be I'd be surprised if they can top Minnesota. So, um, yeah, it didn't surprise me at all. that. I mean, it, and to be honest with you, in those rankings, like, that Vikings at USA US Bank Stadium, it was number one pretty by far. I mean, it wasn't really even close to SoFi at two. I mean, it was it, it's a clearly a favorite of most most people have been there. So I think I don't know how your rankings like I think there's a difference between rankings like normal seats and club seats because the SoFi clubs are tremendous. But I've sat in both. I sat uh, in club seats and in the Super Bowl. I didn't sit in the club seats. And I I just think the state I'm, I, I would not rank it number two. I think it's just also I was there for the uh, uh, national championship game when it was pouring down rain and the water was coming in and everything like okay, that. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like it was horrendous with that. So I was cold and rainy and the roof was leaking. But I don't know. I'm not sold. I think the parking is hard. There's nothing really around the stadium. I, I'm not sold that so far. I think for and I don't think the side angles were that great. So I, I sort of question the number two ranking for SoFi, even though it's a brand new stadium, it costs two billion dollars. But I would put it more in the middle, not at the top, like you had it. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so I've been to SoFi twice, and I totally get where you're coming from on that stuff. There isn't really much by it. Um, I think it's just because. One, I think people really like the natural light despite being inside, like I said, like, like the Minnesota one where it has, it's indoors, but you also kind of have that feeling like you're out. The other thing that seems like a lot of, a lot of people liked about SoFi, and I, and I did too, is that, is that big screen that kind of goes, it goes all the way around the field, but it's, uh, it's, not a, it's not as distracting as the, you know, the big screen at AT&T Stadium, and I think people, a lot of people like that. Um, but I, I get where you're coming from too because there is a little bit about it where, I could see how some people might think it's a little sterile and, and things like that. Maybe it doesn't have as much character as some of the other places uh, on the list, for sure. Well, you had Lambeau Green Bay Stadium at third and Arrowhead Stadium at sixth. I, I, Lambeau is one, surprising, I haven't been to. I've been to Arrowhead like six, seven times. I love the stadium. The amenities aren't that great, and the location isn't that good, but it's super loud, and their fans, I mean, that's like one of those stadiums where like the fans make the stadium. I think there's nothing about the stadium that's great except the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs fans are absolutely the, one of the best in the whole, in the whole league. 
you know, I feel that way about Kansas City, and I've, I've felt that way about uh, Seattle, um, in that they're both super loud, and for, you know, the last whatever decade, uh, they've been pretty good teams, too. So you, you, I agree with you that the fan experience adds to it, because uh, if you can have a stadium like that that's outdoors and still loud, like it's an indoor stadium, that's just so rare to have. Also, those two stadiums just look nothing like any other stadium, and so there's definitely the uniqueness to it, whereas, you know, same deal with Lambeau. I mean, you're outside, and, and I, Lambeau, I just think they've done such a great job in the fact of uh, it's, it's, it's such an old stadium, but they've upgraded so many things around it, but then also we're able to keep it still where you feel like this is not a new stadium. I still feel like it's pretty historic, and then it's just the fact that it's in the middle of this town that it doesn't you know you know you go to all these other nfl stadiums that you know represent these huge cities and this little town is just all about that that team it's like it's an green bay is like this nfl town uh whereas you normally would think okay well this this team would be in milwaukee or something like that and so there's just something about being around that stadium and being inside that stadium that makes it stand out that uh most people that go there i mean as long as you can handle the cold uh, most people aren't disappointed if they if they make at least one trip to Lambeau. <laughs> and uh, just to go run through a couple more stadiums is a Creaser. You have ranked as number ten. The Steelers. Everyone knows it as Heinz Field. No one knows it as Creaser. And MNT Bank Baltimore is eleven. But they're the, to me the same stadiums as the Cleveland Browns team, which is nineteen. And you put Paycor Cincinnati at twenty seven. But I think all four were built around the same time, and they're all both, both downtowns. They're so and they're all in the same division. But to me, they're equal. And I don't like and I honestly don't like any of them. I really don't. <laughs> and I think of the. Four or I think a is the worst. The, the, the club section, there's no room to walk around. I think the stadium is overrated. I just maybe I, I have nostalgic with Three River Stadium, but I really don't like a Creaser. And a lot of the Steeler fans don't like it either. I'm not the only one who who hasn't been sold with the stadium. We love the location, but I don't really like the stadium. Yeah, I was kind of surprised it was higher on the list this year than it was three years ago. Um, I like to me, and again, that's the other thing that you're going to get is a lot of people are going to have their own things that they like. Uh, and, 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 and probably overrated than other things. Like, it, like I've seen a lot of fans talking about like how the concession stands rank and, and stuff like that. <laughs> That's not a big of a deal with me. Like, I don't care about that as much. A lot of fans talk about like how difficult it is to park at places or how expensive the parking is. And so that obviously that's not as, as big of a deal for me. So I'm going to probably overrate any stadium that's in a downtown area that's by water. I just think that if you have that chance, like I'm, I'm originally from Detroit. And I just felt like if they could have built an outdoor stadium for the Lions, they should put it on the Detroit River. And instead they did Ford Field. It's an indoor. It's just, it's, it's okay. You know, it's a middle of the pack, you know, NFL stadium. But uh, I like the outdoor stadiums. But I agree with you on, again, I haven't been to Cincinnati or uh, Baltimore. But um, I did like when I, when I went to Pittsburgh. I've only been there once. But on the Florida stadiums, I love Raymond James Stadium. I'm one of the few people. And I loved, you had TA Bank, Jacksonville, the stadium. And I read what you wrote. It was terrible. But you wrote, <laughs> put them 29. But I tell everyone on the show, I love going to those games. I was at that San Diego game this past year. I love the fact there's two levels of clubs. Everybody can go in. I like the pools. I like the location. There's nothing I don't like about the stadium. I actually do like that. And I like Tampa Stadium. So on those ones. But I totally agree with you about Hard Rock. And Mike, my co-host here, says the same thing. It is horrendous. I don't think I get that just because the stadium is so bad the location is so bad everything about there's nothing about hard rock nothing I like it's bad in the winter bad in the summer it's too hot the sun reflects on the seats I can't say one good thing about hard rock yeah I I, I didn't have an argument with TIA bank being down there I didn't I didn't have a really great experience this year and that was the first time I went there 
Uh, I thought it was okay. Um, I thought that kind of like, you know, when I mentioned with Pittsburgh, you can kind of see downtown, uh, you know, you can see the river and that, and there's just nothing about Jacksonville Stadium that made, it just seemed like at, at, there was a time when it was probably pretty good, and it just is kind of like time has passed it by. Um, but, yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that when I went there. And then, yeah, Miami is just, uh, um, I, well, I don't know if I should share this or not, but I'm like a diehard Florida State football fan. And so, <laughs> and so uh, I just want Miami's football team to play there for the rest of the time. <laughs> it doesn't it seem when Florida State plays Miami, there's always a monsoon at the game. It's just like it's like it's a must. Like, you know, it's going to be a monsoon there. But I, I hate that stadium. And then we have to say, I'm sure our listeners are going to ask, what was the worst stadium? And I think there's no debate on this is the FedEx Stadium in Washington is clearly number is the worst. So. I say that there's three tiers of stadiums, but you can even make an argument that there's a fourth tier, and that would just be Washington's all by itself. <laughs> uh, there's nothing about it that makes it seem like they're even trying. Um, and now maybe that will change under new ownership. Maybe there will be things about it that they upgrade. I'll, I'll be I'll be fascinated to looking forward to that because uh, I've been so disappointed because obviously the Cowboys are in the same division, so I'm going there every year and. Uh, it just, I don't know, man, for a team that's, that is, you know, in the nation's capital, to just to do the drive over to Landover, and, and just, it just, nothing about the stadium stands out, and then obviously, you know, the stuff that everybody knows about, the leaky pipes, you know, the, the railings falling over, onto, and, and fans falling onto players, it just, I don't know, there just doesn't seem like there's much of an effort there, so I feel like there's a top tier, there's kind of a middle tier of stadiums, then there's a bottom tier, and then probably in that fourth one. Is probably probably FedEx Field in Washington. And I just before we get to our next guest, I just want to Gillette. I think is horrendous. It's impossible to get to. And I loved how you ranked MetLife because it was just recently built for two billion dollars. Everyone thinks it's a great stadium for the Jets and the Giants, but it's in the horrendous location and it's impossible to get in, possible to get out. And I think it's the most boring stadium, sterile in the world. So I, I like the fact you rated you rated it twenty fifth. I, I kind of feel like they made it boring because there's two teams that play there so they can just make it easy to transition from one to the other. There's nothing about it that really stands out, but yeah, it is one again, uh, you know, I have to, I go to every year because they're the giants are in the same division as the Cowboys and it, there's nothing about it. that stands. It just like kind of, it's just like, okay. So in the article, that's why I reached out to uh, one of our giants writers and I reached out to our jets writer, like, Hey, can you just have, give me some comment for this? Cause people are going to wonder how is this one of the newer stadiums? <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, we, and anyone follow John McChoda on the, for Cowboys and for stadiums and everything on The Athletic. Uh, thanks so much for coming on so, such short notice. But I, I read your article. And I'm like, i got to have to have you on because I talk about stadiums all the time. No, I appreciated it. And, and I enjoy it, too. And, uh, and I enjoy the conversation, especially with someone that I so often run into people that will criticize it. And I'll be like, well, how many stadiums have you been to? And they're like, well, I've been to three. You know, I mean, I get it. Believe, me, believe me, I get it. I get it. If it's not your full-time job, it's tough to get to a lot of stadiums. You know, I mean, uh, my diehard, my friends that are diehard fans of the Lions I grew up with, you know, they've been to four, five, six stadiums, and that, and, and I get that. I'm not expecting people to be to twenty or thirty. But to, if you've be, if you've talked to somebody that's been to twenty or thirty. You just you kind of value their opinion on it a little bit differently. Thank you. He is John Machota of the Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at J O N Machota M A C H O T A. Don't know if we're going to get Jen. Um, waiting on her call. Haven't been able to uh, make connection with her people just yet. College football, Ira. It's right around the corner. Coming up before NFL gets back, and 
Do you want to talk about where we are right now? Because this has been one of the most tumultuous off seasons I can ever remember in college football. Um, no, I'm I'm pumped for this season. I think this is going to be a great season. It's the last one where there's going to be four teams. So it's like one of those things where, um, like, it, it, you're going to go it, back and remember who the final four final four teams yeah, were. Yeah, because it's yeah. going to be twelve teams. So as someone who likes the four team playoff, I enjoy the fact that we're going to take four really good teams and you're going to have a playoff like this. And I think the regular season, you know, certainly matters. So I'm excited. I'm excited for that. Um, just to run through what I think we have is well, the big news out of Mich- the Big Ten right this year. Michigan, uh, Jim, uh, Jim Harbaugh is going to be suspended the first three games. Well, he's suspending himself, but they're playing Bowling Green, uh, East Carolina, and UNLV. Tough ones. I think you could coach that team. I think <laughs> that they could roll it out. He can coach during the practice. He's not suspended, so he, he's only he's allowed to coach the entire week. So all the hours of the week, 168 hours, he can't just cut coach the 106 the four hours of the game. He's not allowed to coach. But if you look at, at Michigan and, and the fact that they were upset by TCU last year was at the game. And but of course they now beat Ohio State two years in a row. The key thing for Michigan is they have their quarterback back. And if you look at all these top teams, a lot of teams are missing their quarterbacks. They got J.J. McCarthy. They have their running backs. People are shocked. Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards could be two of the top, like first or second, you know, second or third round draft picks. When we talk about them for fantasy, they came back this year. Great offensive line. Their defense, Will Johnson, Junior Colson, um, and their schedule. They really play nobody. And we're going to talk about this. Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, they just play each other. It's a round robin. Michigan's going to be at Penn State November 11th and Ohio State at home on November 25th. That's it. When you go look at both these teams, Ohio State plays Notre Dame, but really it's going to be Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. It's, it's a round robin between the three of the teams. And then talking about Ohio State, it's very rare that we go into a season being down on Ohio State, but I think that's where most people are. They're down because they have. This is rare that the fact that they have Marvin Harrison, who is going to be the maybe the number one pick of the after the number one non-quarterback pick yeah. in the draft, um, the, considered the best wide receiver coming out of college in decades, maybe since uh, Calvin Johnson, probably. Since it, you're, it's amazing, and then having their second wide receiver is Amika Aguba, who is also considered going to be a first round, first maybe ten or fifteen pick in the draft, and you have two great running backs that are going to come back, but they don't have a quarterback yet. Kyle McCord and Devin Brown are battling two sophomores and they haven't named a quarterback and that's the question and if one of these can emerge I mean that would be if they had CJ Stroud on this team they'd be number one everyone's but without a quarterback you're wondering what's going to happen uh, they play Notre Dame and then of course they play uh, Penn State and Michigan and that's going to be the question and I think without that quarterback that's where you like JJ McCarthy coming back for his third year at Michigan whereas you don't really have anyone at Ohio State how do you feel about Penn State because you're always you're you're not afraid to be critical of your team I I, I, they're going to win every. They're going to be twenty. This is the Penn State's the weirdest team. They are going to have NFL players at all sides of the ball. They are going to be twenty-five to thirty-point favorites on every game they play, even against Iowa. They're going to be like a twenty-point favorite, and they're going to be underdogs in two of their games. Yeah. It's unbelievable. They're going to be an underdog at Ohio State on October twenty-first, and at home against Michigan, they're going to be an underdog in that game. And they can't be. They James Franklin has not proven that he can win these games. That Penn State cannot win big games. They just can't. And I'm just nervous about it. And they have Drew Aller, who's a, now going to be a sophomore quarterback. But they have Nick. Singleton, Kayvon Allen, two great running backs back. They have uh, Ola Fashama, who is uh, tremendous. It could be the first offensive lineman drafted in the NFL draft next year. On defense, Kalen King, who people think is better than Joey Porter Jr. Chop Robertson, I mean, but their schedule is so easy. Northwestern, UMass, Delaware, West Virginia. I mean, this is embarrassing. Like, it's, <laughs> but it's really Ohio State and Michigan. So I really think they're going to lose to Ohio State and Michigan. Michigan, Ohio State, one of them clearly is going to go to the, the playoff. And Penn State will be out, and they'll, they'll be a 10. 
ten and two year for them. Only have about three minutes left here on Iron Sports. Where do we stand with the with the SEC? Well, Georgia announced their starter is Carson Beck. Now, remember, they've been the defending, two-time defending champions. They're bringing back the best tight end we've seen since Rob Gronkowski and Brock Bowers, who is going to be great. Their schedule is ridiculous. UT Martin, Ball State, UAB, it's the most embarrassing schedule you can imagine. They really don't start playing until the end. Maybe uh, Tennessee, uh, they play one of their games is Georgia Tech. They aren't going to lose during the year. And they're, they're going to be playing the SEC championship game against an Alabama team, maybe. But they have, look, their whole defense is playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, but they totally <laughs> reloaded. And they're going to have, uh, the Eagles need more players. They got Mikel Williams, Jamon Dumas. <laughs> they got uh, Malaki Starts and Samal Bon. The Eagles have more players they can just take. That's the farm team for the Eagles. And uh, for Bama, it's interesting. They don't have a quarterback. They have a four. There's four people that are in the running for the quarterback for Alabama. Um, and their schedule is difficult in the fact they have to play Texas, which is a non-conference early. They have the Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Tennessee. So I'm a little nervous about them. And they also play LSU. Jaden Daniels is coming back. LSU beat them last year. They have Howell Perkins Jr. at linebacker who's going to be fantastic. And the big game for LSU and for Florida State is September 3rd. You're going to start to see that's going to be great. But I'm nervous for Alabama. Alabama. So I really think Georgia is going to be one of the, the team that's going to come out. I, everyone thinks, oh, they'll get two or three teams or two teams out of the SEC. I really think Georgia will be the one team that's going to get out of the SEC for that. Anything? Any comments on Texas A&M? Well, important is that Jimbo Fisher has, it seems like a light, they can't fire him, but he brings in Bobby Petrino and Bobby Petrino from Arkansas, from Louisville, and they are now going to try to have an offense. Texas A&M has not had an offense for <laughs> since Jimbo Fisher's been there, and I think that's going to be the difference, and that's going to be the challenge that Bama has to play, because Bama now has to deal with a uh, rejuvenated Arkan- Auburn team. They have Mississippi, they have Mississippi State, they now have to go against uh, LSU and now Texas A&M, and now this is the last year they have that. They're going to be, I think they're getting out of divisions next year. So this is the challenge in terms of, the, look, next year, you're going to have all the Pac-12 teams coming to the Big Ten. You're going to have Oklahoma, Texas coming to the SEC. So this is really the final year of all this with the playoffs and everything. So enjoy it while it is. But we talked about the Big Ten, the SEC, and I guess next week we'll talk about the ACC and the uh, uh, Pac-12. Yeah, we are just about out of time. Thanks so much to John Machota for joining us. What's your plans this week, Ira? I'm not sure. I got to get ready for the. We're definitely going to the U.S. Open in the following two weeks. So I'll be at tennis for two weeks. And and I just confirmed. I, the debate was I'll go to Penn State, West Virginia that weekend that, that of the Labor Day weekend. So I'll go to Penn State, West Virginia. But then I won't go to. But then I'm going to go to the steel. I won't go to the Steeler 49er game. But I just got invited to go to the Jets home game against the Bills for their opening Aaron Rodgers first game. So that'll be Pretty exciting. Cool. So it'll be it, it'll be great. The men's final of the U.S. Open, and then the day after I'll be going to the Jets. Bill's game at MetLife, the stadium that nobody likes. <laughs> Wasn't that a great interview about no, talking fantastic. about the stadiums? I love that. I and wish we could have done like a half hour with yes, him. Yes, it was about good. Every stadium. And he talks about, and, and you know, you can never talk too much cowboy football because everybody's big, uh, big fun, you know, loves to talk about the cowboys. Love to hate him or love to love him. Regardless, yes. you, you got to talk about him. John Machota was fantastic from The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at John Machota. We are out of time, though. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.